You're listening to episode 42 of the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Alazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today we will talk uh, again or uh, once more, one more time about IVD, uh, so in vitro diagnostic uh, manufacturers. Uh, this is a topic that is uh, less discussed currently because we are really focused on the MDR. But uh, I wanted to find some SMEs that can help us to understand the situation for IVD manufacturers currently. Uh, and for that, I have with me Maurizio Supo from Carad, who will be uh, our guest today, and uh, he will really guide us through the situation for IVD manufacturers and will help us also to know what they should do uh, already now uh, to be in a good shape uh, for the future. So uh, Maurizio, welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Thank you, Monir. I hope I will be able to give some useful information for the audience. Yeah, I'm sure you will be doing that. So, so just for, for the beginning, Maurizio, can you just introduce yourself for the audience? Yes, um, Italian. Uh, I worked in the IVD industry for more than 33 years, um, always in the quality regulatory uh, environment. So that gave me a good chance to follow up from a situation that in the beginning Europe was fragmented, there were countries without regulation for IVDs, countries with uh, some regulations only for certain selected uh, types of IVDs, and countries with uh, more general, you know, I remember France, Germany, then later on Spain uh, regulations. And then I lived uh, through the uh, writing and uh, implementation of the IVD directive. Okay, that's more than 20 years ago, of course. And, um, and now there is the second big step forward of the European uh, Union in terms of legislation with the, with the IVD regulation. So it's good then you have a kind of uh, all the history that happened for this kind of uh, regulation, which will be great. And uh, I think it will be great then for, for the audience to really learn about that and, and understand it. So uh, just for starting, so maybe we can still continue with the history for IVD and IVDR. So um, what is exactly the, the kind of changes that were happening there? What is the starting point now and what is our current situation regarding the products that uh, will be uh, now considered within IVDR? Well, essentially, the, the biggest innovation is that the European authorities have really decided to close the gap um, that we have uh, in Europe versus the major legislations. Um, and of course, everybody has in mind FDA, right? Yeah. Uh, because the situation was really, um, the, the delta was too significant. Think about um, high uh, sophisticated products, which are, you know, in, a, in an area that is particularly uh, sensitive to people, which are the tumor markers 
in the United States FDA, not only there, in also, uh, also in other legislations, they are quite highly regulated, all the cancer markers. And in Europe, they were under the directive framework, they were uh, self-certified, okay? okay? Um, companion diagnostics, the same. You know, in Europe, self-certified um, IDDs and in the other legislations, very highly regulated. So the European authority really decided to close the gap um, by shifting the European legislative framework in a direction that it's much closer to FDA in terms of complexity, okay, and I would say even cost, but um, not really exactly uh, duplicating the, the modalities for the registration. So Europe in that retains its own unique approach but overall, I have to tell uh, that clearly the cost of compliance is going up. Yeah. Okay. The cost of compliance for IVD companies, it's clearly now being driven up. And that, Monir, as we were discussing before, it's likely to have an impact on, the, on how the, the shape of the IVD market will look tomorrow. Um, that brings me to highlight the major difference between the regulation and the directive is this revolution in the way that the products are classified. Yeah. And most importantly is the revolution, uh, the complete flip around of the ratio of products subject to the notified body control and the products that were self-certified. Yeah, uh, I, can, I, I, can, I can remember that, yeah, before, so the classification was not really the same as for medical devices. And uh, as you mentioned, they closed the gap maybe with the FDA, but I think they also closed the gap between the medical device products and the IVD products, because in terms of classification, the way you are considering them, we see yeah. a lot of similarities also now on the chapter you're, you're, MDR and IVDR. Yeah, totally correct. Totally correct. Um, and uh, the point... The point is that um, we have, in the, under the IBD directive, uh, we had uh, a, basically only 15% of IBDs yeah. um, under the scope of notified bodies, okay? And, you know, these are all the products that were in Annex 2 of the IBD directive, um, blood typing, hepatitis, uh, toxoplasmosis, etc. And um, 85% were in the self-certification regime. And these are not my data. These are data from the European Trade Association, MedTech Europe, of course. And, and now this percentage has completely flipped. Um, with, with some people that they are say, even saying that maybe only 10%, not 15% uh, of IBDs will be left in the self-certification regime. So you name a reagent, just name it, and very likely it will fall under the, 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 the control of notified body. Mm -hmm. And that, let me add, it's complete um, mind paradigm shift for many IBD manufacturers, which, let's face it, until now, they have happily lived 
in what I call the blue ocean of self-certification with no clue at all of what does it mean to work with the notified board. Yeah, they never had any audit. They never had any unannounced audit, surprised audit, or any non-conformity yeah. to manage. Just not, kind of not only not only that, which is an, an extremely valuable point, but they never had their technical documentation reviewed and challenged by an outside organization. So it will be really um, a challenge also for them. I mean, a challenge for notified bodies because uh, there will be really a big need now of notified yeah. bodies for this uh, this area, but also a challenge for all the manufacturers where they can be surprised where before they were able to sell the products without any issue. And now they will be challenged by a notified body saying that maybe their product is not correct or not compliant. So it can, yeah. what happens. And, and that, and that Monir brings us to the other salient and significant point of the regulation is the concern that industry has on the notified bodies. Because, okay, it's clear, the European regulators sent a strong signal saying, we want basically all of the IVD market under the control of notified body, okay, with very few exceptions, which are the products that remain in class A. But, on the, and that is understandable, but on the other side, we we are concerned when i'm saying we is consultants of course industry of um, the fact that the notified bodies are they the european authorities they have raised the bar so high for notified bodies in terms of competence in terms of independence you know needless to mention the joint assessment audits that notified bodies are subject um also medical device notified bodies, uh, which are much tougher, okay, than the, the one that the, the processes in the in the past, because Monir, you know that in the past notified bodies were nominated yeah. and monitored only by the Europe the, the the authorities, the health authorities of the country they, they belong. Okay. Yeah. And now the, with these joint assessment committees, uh, so the bar has been raised so high, and this has intimidated uh, many notified bodies from applying to become a notified body for the R's, for the regulations. So we have seen a significant reduction in notified bodies for medical device regulation that have applied. Okay, now we are at number four nominated. Yeah. But you remember the story, you know, from 80 to 58, when these joint assessment audits uh, came into place, and now from 58, I don't know how many notified bodies have applied for the medical device regulation, probably 20, you know, it's, yeah. it's very secret. The European Commission doesn't disclose data. But if, you look, if we look specifically at IVDs, you know, seven or eight have applied, and now we discover that some have dropped out from the race. You know, we all know about uh, LRQA, we all know about uh, UL. You understand, so NSF was also a notified body that applied, uh, particularly with the mission of being the partner for the IBD industry, and then it, it was forced to pull out of the race. Yeah, so, so as you mentioned, so there is there is a big need of notified bodies. Uh, we yeah. have 
four notified bodies for MDR as of today. Uh, so BSI UK, uh, Tuve Sud, uh, Decra, and Decra. recently yesterday, uh, IMQ, uh, yeah. the day of real record. But yeah. I checked again the list on the Nando database and zero are still for IVDR. So, Which is understandable because the commission clearly wants to progress what is more urgent now. More, the most urgency is on medical devices because yeah. their deadline, their date of application, the end of the transition period is like 10 months away. Yeah. Okay? But for IBDs, so it's, it's understandable that IBDs will come later. But what is more concerning is that with, with a third, you know, if we are lucky, we may have a seven, maybe even, even say eight. It, okay. You know, some people, they say six. It is a roughly a third of the notified bodies for IBDs that we have today under the directive with a workload that has been estimated, again, not by myself, but by MedTech Europe, to be at least eight times as much as they have today. Eight okay, times so for the manufacturers or for the notified bodies? No, for the notified body. Okay. So because eight times more resources so they can... With a third of the notified bodies. Okay. So, so you do the math, and uh, what is the result? The result is potentially long, long waiting lists. Okay. You know, this massive, massive amount of workload that will hit the notified bodies very hard when the time will come. And, and this is another excellent point that we, Monir, we already discussed before when we were prepping yeah. this cast, uh, is that one thing is are the official deadlines that you see in the regulations, okay? Everybody knows that it's May 27, uh, 2022, okay, for IVDs. But in reality, the real deadline that, that IVD manufacturers will be confronted is the date that the notified body will give them yeah. uh, for submission. Because the notified body, if we look what is happening already today for the medical device colleagues, the notified bodies, they are saying, hey, if you want me to approve your medical uh, device, okay, by the May 27, 2020, you know, next year deadline, you have to submit the documentation, the, the whole set of technical documentation to me by October this year. Yeah. You know, we are almost in September, okay? September is few days ahead of us, and medical device companies may face an October deadline, which is like a, a month away for the submission of their... This is shocking, okay? Yeah. These deadlines, these soft, notified body-imposed deadlines are the harsh reality with which industry will have to confront. Yeah, because uh, I think yeah, everybody now is thinking May 2020, but uh, at the end, yeah. it's really not the right date. Uh, and I can also understand notified bodies that they need some time also to review all the documents and then to be uh, giving the approval. But yeah, it's really, um, I mean, it's a lot of time uh, that, uh, that is, is provided for, for them uh, with uh, less time for the manufacturers to be ready also for, 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 the, yeah. for the, the medical device regulation. I think it will be the same that will happen for the IVDR. So we consider May 2022, but it will be maybe October 2021 that everybody should. Exactly, exactly. 
Okay, so uh, I see also as we discussed about MedTech Europe, I see that they were already alerting about all those uh, kind of issues. And we start also to see a lot of countries like USA or Australia that starts also to uh, to provide some warning to the European Commission. Um, I, what what can what can they do? I mean, what, what is the consequence of that? Is there uh, because everybody now is saying maybe we can uh, extend the due date, etc. So yeah. what's yeah. what's the, your idea on that? But first of all, uh, you're totally right in the concern that it's 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 on the industry side. Um, everybody knows that MedTech Europe, uh, Serge Bernasconi wrote a letter to the European Commission saying, "Hey, you know, this is we we have a certain sense of urgency." And the time is running out. What are you put? What are the mechanisms that you are putting in place, you, the Commission? And the European Commission replied very formally, saying, "Yeah, for the moment, everybody, everything is fine. We are running along the the it's it's normal cruising, but people are concerned. So, what will happen? Uh, nobody has the crystal ball. Okay, and yeah. um, I am kind of skeptical." when I'm hearing people saying, yeah, you know, at the last minute, the European Commission will just push further back in, in the future the, the deadlines, okay? Which is, in other words, they will extend the transition period. Yeah. I don't think it happening. It's, it will happen because it, it will imply an official modification of the regulation, okay? Which is something that I don't think the European Commission will, will consider. What more realistically, okay, but this is purely my my position, yeah. will happen. It is something like it happened already with the Andisap. Yeah. Okay. I, our people that are on the on the line may may understand, they know that MDSAP is the medical device single audit program. And the Canadian authorities, uh, they were crystal clear, you know, January 1st, 2019 is the deadline you need to be certified by MDSAP if you want to continue to sell in Canada, okay? So what happened, so we are talking about facts, Monir, it's not speculation, yeah. okay? As you and I know, these are facts. Yeah. What happened is that the Canadian authorities, they realized that there was also in this case for MDSAP certification, there was a bottleneck, okay? So many companies have applied, they may even have received the audit, but not the certification itself. Yeah. Purely due, due to workload from these, of course, they are not called notified bodies. In, in, the, in the field of MDSAP, they are called auditing organizations, okay? Yeah. And uh, so the Canadian authorities, they basically said, okay, if you can show with documents that you have applied, maybe you even had the audit and you're just waiting uh, for the certificate to be issued, it's okay. You are okay, don't worry. Later on, they even went further. They said, okay, if you have applied and you have not received the audit yet, okay, it's not your fault. We understand that the auditing organization are very busy. And there was a third step which is really demonstrated how flexible the Canadian authority were. Uh, they said, okay, if you had already the CAMDICAS, which was the former Canadian regulatory regime certification, it is still okay, but provided that you will apply and you will get the MDSAP certification, okay? So these are facts. So what I think it may happen is something similar. 
So the European uh, authorities may say, okay, listen, if you can show that you have contracted, not contacted unofficially, because everybody can unofficially get in touch, but contracted the notified body, and you have you know, made the application, raised your hand and said, we are ready. We have all the technical documentation and our quality management system is okay. And the notified body had no time to come due to workload. I think that it's very likely that the European authorities will say, you know what, your current CE mark, because they, of course they are directive related CE mark, yeah. it's okay, and it grants you continued access to the European market until the notified body will come. No, it's clear. And I think the European Commission should try to find those, kind, I mean, to to maybe disclose or mention about those kind of scenarios, because it's really uh, important for manufacturers to be ready and to yeah. uh, not give up. Also, what I'm afraid of also is that some, uh, we have notified bodies that are giving up and maybe now we'll have some small manufacturers that will also give up because they say it's too much, there is too, too much thing. And yeah. Uh, we we don't want to invest money where at the end we know that we will not make it etc cetera, etc cetera, because of the deadline. So and that and but sorry to interject, Monir, yeah. but that is one of the concerns. Um, I think again, it's me speaking, my opinion, but I think that this uh, European regulation will change the shape of the European market, particularly particularly for IBDs. The impact on IBD manufacturers will be much greater than medical devices. Because as you mentioned before, medical device manufacturers already were used to work with notified body. It, you know, it's not that they, they are totally facing a different environment. That will happen for IBD manufacturers. And uh, from what I'm seeing, honestly, we, you know, our, our consulting company is very specialized in IBDs. You know, we basically work with 70% of the top IBD players. So what I see for the moment uh, in a bullet statement is that the big players, you bet, they are on it, they are already working since months, if not a year, and they are preparing very well. The small manufacturers, even some of the medium ones, they still have their head buried in the sand and when they will wake up, for many of them, it will be dramatically too late. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, there is, I think, uh, a lot of, the, of, uh, of diversity in terms of products, and there is some products yeah. that uh, exist maybe only with small, some small manufacturers and not with big ones. So losing them, we can maybe lose a big part of the, of the products that people are using and patients. Exactly. This is exactly. maybe risk for patients at the end. Uh, also, risk to have no competition, so that uh, that only big uh, big medical device can can dominate the market. Yeah, let let me reframe that a little bit. I, I don't think really risk for patient. The risk for patient doesn't come from the fact that certain uh, companies, small companies, won't be a, a able to offer their products. Okay. Um, I think that the risk for patients may come uh, if the European Commission will not put in place this plan B mechanism, okay, that we were discussing before, if they will only apply a very, you know, very strict mentality saying, hey, if you don't have your MDR medical device regulation certificate, you will not be able to place product on the market. 
if they take such a strict and rigid attitude, uh, and, and they will take it by telling the notified body to take such attitude, really there is a risk that certain medical devices, first, of course, because the deadline is coming earlier, and later on certain IBDs will not be available to uh, patients anymore. And that would be bad. And it is so bad that that's why I'm absolutely convinced, Monir, that uh, the European Commission won't let this happen. No, no, okay. I, I'm sure, I'm sure also. And I hope they are listening to this podcast and they can really <laughs> get, get some advices or get some suggestions so that they yeah. can yeah, move. What will happen on the IBD is a more subtle thing is that indeed um, the laboratories, if I would be a laboratory director, today I have a very wide portfolio. And don't get me wrong, they are good products, okay? Even the ones that are offered by small companies, not necessarily they are bad quality. So for a, a, a laboratory director, you, you have a very wide offer. Okay, and everybody knows as the fundamental rule of the market is that more, the, 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 the more diversified the offer is, the more prices can be contained. Yeah. Okay, if we will drive uh, towards a future situation where, you know, small companies may not afford the cost of compliance, okay, what we were saying before, and slowly and gradually, the European IBD market will concentrate in the hands of the big players, which will, you know, will have less competition and uh, more capability to drive the market yeah. in, in the direction that they want. No, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, on that face, so what, what CARAD, so what your consulting company can do? As you said, you are really specialized in IVD. So what are you doing actually for your customers? Yeah, and again, um, with, with, with some exceptions, uh, we are helping the big players to put in place uh, their regulatory strategy for compliance, um, helping them to be very, very proactive to work with their potential notified bodies, because you understand yeah. it's an act of fate, right? Yeah, you are working with your current notified body in the hope that it will become a notified body also for the regulation, okay? But I have to say that the big names, uh, you know, maybe there will be some surprises, but uh, most of the big names, I'm sure that they will become uh, but again, the big names, they stay on the fingers of two hands, yeah. even, even some, some less fingers, right? So, yes, the strategy of, first of all, identifying the products that are worth IBDRizing, yeah. okay? If, I, if you allow me to invent this new word, <laughs> IBDRization, uh, it is something that maybe not all products are worth um, having. Because you imagine that there are products in the, in the industry that are kind of at the end of their natural life cycle. They are, you know, all technology, you know, the, 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 the shape, the, the, the state of the art, okay? It's like, it's a moving target, you know? Gradually, the state of the art is changing. Imagine the state of the art of a car. Yeah. You are young, but, you know, I'm, I'm almost 60. When I was driving age, the state of the art of cars were definitely different than what is today, right? Agreed. So there is, a, there is a natural obsolescence 
So the, the first step really is um, deciding what are the products that are worth moving on. And the second step clearly is mapping the intended purpose. Because you cannot, Monir, you cannot, and I'm sure you, you, you can do the parallelism for medical devices. Yeah. You cannot make a serious gap analysis on the data you have or you don't have unless you have very clearly mapped what is this product for, okay? Because the intended purpose lists all the applications that the product has and you need to have data for every single one of these applications. So let me make a very simple example. So if you say that a, 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 a hormone, you have a test for a hormone, a hormone endocrinology, okay? If you, there are some hormones that also have a cancer marker okay. um, application, okay? In certain situations, of course. And this is backed by literature, by scientific literature. If you make that statement, first of all, it will flip your product up in classification because okay. a, a endocrinology test, pure and simple, falls in class B, while a cancer marker falls in class C, right? But not only that, uh, if you make the claim as a cancer marker, you should have data um, showing that your test, not somebody else's tests, your test can work in such application. So just to answer to your question, what are we doing? Uh, we are um, helping them to prepare their documents. We offer uh, the writing of scientific validity reports, which is a fundamental element of clinical evidence. And uh, mostly what we are doing in these moments is we do IVDR readiness assessments. We uh, review the technical documentation that they compile and they send us, and this is something that can be done in remote. Or uh, my specialty is um, we, I do uh, on-site assessment of the regulatory readiness of the quality management system. Because you know, Monir, that the regulation, also the regulation for medical devices, stands on two legs. Mm -hmm. One is the quality management system. Yeah. You need to have a lot of processes that are required by the regulation. Vigilance, the periodic reports, et cetera, et cetera. Post-market surveillance, post-market performance follow-up, which for IVDs, you know, it is what uh, post-clinical follow-up is for medical devices. So you, we do gap assessments on the quality systems and on the technical documentation. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a complete offer, I think, for, for uh, companies. And uh, I saw also that uh, you are on the agenda for Topra Symposium in, uh, in Dublin, October 1st uh, and yeah. so on this year. So what will be your talk there? Yeah, I'm a regular contributor uh, at Topra. I was also there last year in the symposium in Sweden. Um, my topic this year in Dublin, other than drinking a good Guinness, <laughs> <laughs> it will be to talk about the, the clinical evidence uh, implications, which are fairly considerable for the IBD industry uh, from an industry point of view. And the fact that I'm talking from an industry point of view is because I work with, as I told you, so many top players that I really see their um, approach, most of all, their doubts 
and um, in terms of clinical evidence, okay? So that will be a very specialized uh, talk on uh, what is the cur currently industry is the approach towards uh, clinical evidence. So we will see each other then, then because yeah. uh, I will be also at the Topra event. I will be covering uh, the event, uh, trying to, uh, to see a lot of speakers also, and yeah. uh, some small interviews with them. Uh, so yeah, so, and if you want then to, uh, to meet uh, with me or also with uh, Maurizio, then just contact us and we'll be there uh, on October 1st and 2nd uh, in Dublin for the Topra Symposium. Okay, if you Maurice. offer a good, a good Guinness, I'll be there. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Let's do that. Uh, Maurizio, for the audience, so where can they follow up with you? So do you have a specific website? or? Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's clear. We have the CARAD. Uh, if you're not sure how to spell CARAD, it's very simple because let me explain the acronym. It's so simple. It's Quality Assurance Regulatory Affairs Diagnostics. Okay. CARAD. So you know, you Cara.com and you have all the information that you and by the way subscribe to the newsletter because the newsletter of course it is extremely laser focused on IBD matters okay but uh, at least you know with, with a few days of delay from the official documents you you have them no problem. I will put that everything on. I will put everything on the show notes. So the links. Uh, I will put all your details also that uh, people can contact you and uh, if they have more questions, they can go, go directly to you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Monir. And let me add um, congratulations for this initiative. Contacting many uh, subject matter experts, and I think it's a great way to diffuse the knowledge about these regulations. And this is very needed. Uh, Thank you, Maurizio. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Okay, have a good day. Bye-bye. <laughs>